warned Peter. Like, this is, this is God's plan for me to suffer and die. And yeah, it's not easy for me, I think Jesus was saying. It's not easy. In fact, we see that later on. Jesus sweats drops of blood in, in the Garden of Gethsemane before it happens. Jesus is saying, it's not easy for me to do this for you, but you need it, Peter, and I will not be distracted, discouraged, or deterred, no matter how difficult or painful it is. And the only reason I, I go back into chapter 8 to tell you that real quick is that sometimes you need people around you and in your life. This is why we need the church, and, and here, here's why. Sometimes I need people to call me out like Jesus calls out Peter in this moment and says, your perspective is off. You're not looking at it the right way, and that's okay. You don't see it the right way right now. But, but here's what you need to know, Peter. You need to know that there is a bigger plan. There is a bigger thing going on in your life than what you see right now. See, sometimes... Sometimes I need people in my life who are not trying to fix my circumstances or bail me out or tell me to go the easy way. Sometimes I need people who help me trust God more and walk with me through tough moments. And they're just there with me. And you need it too. Listen, in tough moments, people often run from the church. Why? It's the dumbest decision in the world. But you need a missional community. You need people around you. When things, when you can't see straight and things don't look right and things are about to get hard, like that's when you need to cling to the church. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not an event. It's not a place we come and some guy stands up and talks for 30 minutes and all. I mean, that, that's what this is, but this is just the front door. Listen, the church is in little communities and homes throughout this neighbor, th- this community, throughout Goose Creek. And that's where we pray together and learn together and serve together and, at Easter egg hunts and grow together and talk to our neighbors. That's what the church is, and that's what you need desperately, especially when things get hard. And things are about to get hard. So, verse 1, chapter 9. Now, Jesus says this to them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. It's interesting how he uses this terminology, terminology taste death. Like, I don't want to taste that. Um, but it's interesting how he uses this terminology. What Jesus is saying here, because we're going to jump past verse 1 real quick, but Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, many of you here, he's talking to his disciples, his friends, his followers. He says, many of you here, you're going to soon see me die. Now, he's not saying that overtly yet. He's telling his disciples privately about this. But this is a little bit like revealing it piece by piece to them. But he's, he's saying, you're going to soon see me die. And then he's telling, he's kind of foreshadowing something. You're going to see my resurrection. He's not saying saying that clearly, but underneath it, you know this because we're looking back in hindsight, it's 2020, but they're going to soon see the resurrection of Jesus, and then they're going to see the ascension of Jesus, and then Pentecost is going to come, which was the day when, when, when the Holy Spirit came, and all of a sudden people started understanding all different languages. It was an amazing thing God did. So they're going to see two enormous displays of God's power in the advancement of the kingdom. They're going to see a man rise from the dead who is the Messiah, Son of God. Never happened. Craziness. Like, and, and they're also going to see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, come upon believers, and they it's going to be amazing. And so Jesus is saying this, that you're going to see enormous, some of you standing here 
will not die. You're not going to taste death before you see the kingdom of God on display. And then look what happens in verse 2. And this is what we're really going to be talking about this morning. And after six days, so six days from, which, from when Jesus was talking about that, talking about the kingdom of God being displayed in power, Jesus decided to take a camping trip. No, that's my own translation, but it says this. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Now, you need to know about those three guys. Remember, I've already told you about Peter. Peter kind of sticks his foot in his mouth sometimes. He's one of the closest friends of Jesus. James and John... They're, one, they're the close, closest friends of Jesus. These thri- three guys together, this is Jesus' huddle. Like, this is Jesus' closest. We sit around the table. We talk together. We probably, we probably fight together. We, we, we argue. We joke. But this is my team. These are my closest friends. And Jesus decides to take them up. Look. And he led them on a, up on a high mountain by themselves. Just the four of them. Just the four of them, I told you it was a camping trip, on a, on a high mountain by themselves. And look what it says, and he was transfigured before them. And that is, we call this the transfiguration. That's just a big word that means he cha- the way they saw him changed. He's about to, his visual, the visual perspective of Jesus is about to change. He's going to look very different for a few minutes. Look what it says, it says, In verse 3, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and as no one on earth could bleach them. Now, I wish that I could see what they saw at that moment. I I don't know. I I don't know what that looked like. I'm not sure what all of a sudden Jesus, Jesus, the friend, the, the guy we've been walking with and hanging out with and that eats regular food and does regular things and kind of got carpenter skills and can build stuff. Like all of a sudden he's standing with these guys on top of a mountain and he is transfigured and he looks very different than they saw him before. Now, they got a glimpse in that moment of a bunch of stuff, I I believe. I think that they got a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And they needed a glimpse of that. And sometimes we need a glimpse of who Jesus really is, right? But they got a glimpse, they got a higher view, a, a divine perspective. And Jesus all of a sudden was not just the teacher, but, but he was a king. He wasn't just a friend, but he was the savior of the world, the Messiah. He wasn't just a man, but all of a sudden he was the son of God almighty, glorified in that moment and glowing. And they saw something that I think helped them understand who he really was. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think in life, have you heard the phrase, you can't see the forest because of the trees sometimes? Sometimes I think we see things from limited perspective. Sometimes, think, you know, we look at something, it's not the way it appears. In fact, I, I want you to look at a few pictures with me this morning because I find this amazing when you look at forced perspective pictures or pictures that, that show you. Just look, take a look at this one. So that's a street, right? You've seen street paintings like this where artists go. This is a real picture, I'm not kidding you, um, of a guy who painted that street to look like that incredible river chasm or whatever it is. But it's not what it seems. It's not real. It's a painting. Look at, look at this next one. Can you figure that one out? Like, 
it's not floating. It's just a, you see, some of you saw it immediately, but you see it's just a wooden platform on the sand. There's just a, a shadow of a flag in front of it. Don't you love these kind of pictures? Like, go home and Google this. You can spend hours. I, I didn't do that this week or anything, but. Um, um, so look at the next one. All right, who is holding who in this picture? It's not the first thought you had. Like, it's the girl in the middle that's being held. Do you see it? But it's not. Some of you saw it right away. All right, look at this. This next one. All right, this guy is falling off the ledge, right? No, look at it a different way. He's just jumping up and the other guy's laying on the ground. You see, sometimes things aren't how they first appear, are they? You have to see it from a different perspective. And you see, that's what I believe is happening in this moment with these guys in Jesus. Jesus takes them up on a mountain and he's showing you, yes, I'm your friend. Yes, I'm a man. Yes, I'm your teacher, your rabbi. But what you need to know is that I am the God Almighty in the flesh. And if you don't see me like that, you're going to miss who I really am. And listen, I believe the world, and maybe you hear this morning, like you revere Jesus. I think a lot of people revere Jesus. They see him as a teacher or a prophet or a good guy. But if they miss the fact that he is the glorious Almighty God, they never find out who Jesus really can be and is in their life. All of a sudden, these guys see Jesus newly. They get a bigger perspective of a few things. You can jot these things down if you want to. But I think first, they get a bigger perspective of Jesus. That he is who he claimed to be, and you can trust him. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's the Son of God. And, and, and they get a bigger per- picture of him. But they also get a bitter, bigger picture of God's power in that moment. Think for a second. If God can right before their eyes, change Jesus into this glowing white, whatever it looked like, amazing thing, then God can change anything, right? If God can raise him from the dead, God can change anything. I, I know this, that he changed my life, and your story may be the same. And when he transforms something, when the king touches something, it changes. It changes from the inside out. You can't change yourself. I mean, you can try. But listen, when God changes you, it is unbelievably transformative. We don't need a bunch of followers of Jesus who are just conforming to rules. We need followers of Jesus who are transformed by the power of the Almighty God. And in this moment, these guys see that God can change something radically. And he wants to change them. And, and then look, so, so they see a picture of transformation. And then they see also a bigger picture of, of their future. Think with me for a second. If you trust in Jesus, one day you will be raised to new life. And the Bible says that you will get new bodies. New bodies that you will be raised from the dead. And you will get new bodies that cannot be stained with sin or shame or suffering anymore. Just like it's displayed here, it says that Jesus is glowing white. And he's so white that it's whiter than bleach can bleach anything, it says. You know the same thing is going to happen to you if you believe in Jesus? Like, he didn't just forgive you of your sins now, but he has promised you a future and a hope that is unstained without sin, without suffering forever with God. 
And they get a glimpse of that. I, I, they, maybe they get a glimpse of more things because I, I wasn't there. But whatever they see in that moment, it's unbelievable. They get a bigger picture. You see, in this world, our perspective, our viewpoint is limited. It's short-sighted. But sometimes, sometimes in life, God gives us a brief glimpse of His glory, of what's yet to come, of something bigger, that His power is, is big, that he, His presence is with us to remind us that there is more, that He is greater, He is in control, He can be trusted. And there is a different perspective even when you can't see it in the moment. He has a higher view of your current circumstances and activities. He's not absent from your life, even when it seems at first glance that you think he is. Things are not out of control, but God gives us glimpses of himself sometimes in these moments so we can see from his perspective. But it doesn't happen often. You see... Look, look at what 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says. Paul was writing this to the Christians in Corinth. He said, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Like now our perspective is, is, is clouded. We, we don't see clearly now. But now I know in part. But then I shall know fully. See, we see dimly now, but one day we'll see face to face. And we see, we know in part now, we, we have glimpses of it, we, we, we read the Bible, we know it's true, but one day we will fully know, and we will be fully known. So my question for us is, like I read this and I go, well, I want a moment like that with Jesus, right? I read this and go, well, Peter, James, and, and John, they got a perspective shift, they got a higher view, but... How can we have those moments? Well, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I'm not sure. That's up to Jesus, not us. Jesus is the one who invited them up on the mountain. Like, they didn't. And, and you know what? It only happens, as far as we know, only once where this kind of perspective of Jesus that they have. But I want you to notice a few things about this moment. One, notice, I told you already, these guys were close to Jesus. If you're going to have Jesus' perspective or a perspective of him that's different, you need to be close to Jesus. All right? If you're not walking closely with Jesus daily, spending time talking to him, you will not have the opportunity to see him, hear him, or experience him like they did. It's not just believing about him. or Listen, they were with him. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about how we do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. How to live in this world, how to avoid sin, how to run this race. We, do, we run this race of life by keeping our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Listen, you and I, I'm just telling you, you will not see, you will not have a higher perspective and see things different if you don't stay close to Jesus. Daily close to Jesus. There was a story one time about Mary and Martha, these two sisters, right? And one was doing for Jesus, but the other was sitting at his feet listening to Jesus. And Jesus said, she's doing what's better. She is sitting with me, listening to me. Like, listen, we don't need a bunch of Christians doing a bunch of activities for Jesus. That's great. There's nothing really wrong with that, except you need to be with him, listening to him, learning from him, leaning on him. And then you will see things the way he sees them. You'll see him differently. But I want you to notice this too. These guys, remember I said they went up on the mountain alone with Jesus? 
There's something significant about that. They pulled away from the noise, from the busyness, from the chaos of life, and they went high up on a mountain alone. There is something about, I don't know if it's just me, but there's something about sitting on a mountain by myself where I can see the sunrise and the birds flying or or maybe sitting by the ocean for you or deep in the woods or maybe you know maybe you just need to make a space in your house where there is no distraction you turn off all the noise you put your phone away where every morning you get up early or night when everybody goes to bed I don't know but you sit there because when things are quiet and all of a sudden you can hear the birds sing or the wind blow or you see the stars or the clouds Listen, if you're not regularly tuning out the noise and listening for God to speak, you will not hear what he says. You will not see him the way that these guys see them. I I think you got to tune out the noise of life, guys. Tune it out and stay close to Jesus. Now look at verse 4. It says, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses... And they were talking with Jesus. Now, if things had not gotten weird enough with Jesus turning white and glowing, all of a sudden they see Elijah and Moses and they're talking to Jesus. Notice, you know who Elijah and Moses are, right? They're from the Old Testament. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. Moses was the guy who went up on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments and gave him, led the children of Israel out of um, out of bondage, out of Egypt, and to the promise, toward the promised land. So, so listen, why do they see Jesus talking? Jesus glowing white, and now he's talking to these two guys who are long since gone. They're not with us anymore. They're seeing the past, the present. All right, think with me for just a second. They're seeing the present. Jesus is there. They're really on a mountain. It's a real moment. That's the present. They're seeing the future. Jesus is glorified. He will one day be glorified, and so will you if you follow him. They're seeing the future, and they're seeing the past. They're seeing Moses and Elijah standing there. It's all converging in one moment. For a moment, time is not a factor. It's not a limitation. Listen, this is why it's so hard for us to wait on God sometimes. It's because we're enslaved to time. But remember, the Bible says a day is but a thousand years to the Lord, like... God's not enslaved to time. He's, he's not affected by time necessarily. He's eternal. He's always been. He always will be. It says that at the beginning and the end of the Bible. Like he always will be. And, and for us, we can't even fathom that. But listen, let me just take you on a quick journey through the Old Testament. Abraham, if you remember Abraham, he had to wait 25 years before the fulfillment of a promised son to Abraham. God promised him a son, and then he waited 25 years. He actually kind of messed up in the midst of that because he got a little bit impatient, and he ended up having another son, but it wasn't the promised son that God told him. He had to wait 25 years for God to give him that son. Noah was about to build a boat because God told him to build a boat, and then guess what? 120 years later, the rain started falling. Joseph, you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph waited 13 years, accused of a crime he didn't even commit, languishing in jail. Listen, the world waited 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years for a Messiah. And now we're waiting thousands of years seemingly since, his, since he lived for him to return because the Bible promises that. So my question is, why does God allow delay in our lives? Why does he cause us to wait so long for some things? Well, let, me, let me just say this. What if he doesn't really? I mean, what if that time perspective is a perspective that you have, but God doesn't see it that way? Like, time is is not a factor here. What if it seems like it's a time delay, but it's simply preparation for you to have the patience, faith, trust, hope, and character you need for God to do with you what God wants to do with you, and you see it as waiting, and God sees it as preparation, but time is not a factor here. Now you're going, what? What are you talking about? All I mean is this. Don't miss what God is doing in you while you wait on Him. Don't miss what God is doing with you. Some of the greatest thing God wants to do in you is in the waiting. But it's significant. It's significant that Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus because Moses represented the law, right? I told you he represented the Ten Commandments, the law, the Torah. And Elijah represented the prophets, the prophets of God. Now, if you divide the Old Testament, it can pretty much be divided into that, law and prophets. Now, there's some other things in there. There's poetry and there's, there's, there's wisdom books. But the bulk of the Old Testament is the law of God and the prophets of God calling people back to the law, back to God. Now, here, here's the thing. For Jesus to be talking to them indicates this, I think. It indicates that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law that Moses was talking about and all the prophecy that Elijah was representing. That it's almost like you see these three guys standing here on this mountain and they represent this. Think with me for just a second. They represent, Elijah rep, or Moses represents God's law. It's as if God is just, he gave us the law, he gave us his standards. We see God's justice in the law. The law, Jesus doesn't say, I came to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Like God's law didn't go away. It's still important. It's still the standard. You and I just fall way short of it. So all of a sudden in Moses, they see God's justice in the law. And then right beside him in, in, in Elijah, they see God's mercy because the prophets patiently called people back to God over and over and they would run away and run away and the prophets would say what no 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 don't make those stupid choices like come back to God where you'll be safe and secure and where you'll know him and where he wants you and where he desires you to be and God mercifully even Paul looks back to this and says God showed mercy for years and years and years as people chose to run and we still do it And then Jesus is standing right in the middle of both the law and the prophets, both the justice and the mercy of God, and all of a sudden you see a picture of God's grace. That, see, God is not just just, He is just, He is just, and sin has to be paid for and accounted for. And He is merciful and patient. But thank God that in Jesus, God is gracious. He paid for our sin Himself. And he canceled our debt forever. And that's what Jesus was standing there in the midst of these two men as a fulfillment of the law and the prophets saying, I came not not just to give you justice or mercy, but I came to give you grace forever. And I'm rescuing and redeeming you and restoring you to God forever. And that's what Jesus was standing there doing. Now, all right, let's jump back into the passage. Verse 5, it says this. 
And Peter says to Jesus, of course Peter's the first to speak, right? Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, or teacher, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Now, isn't it interesting? All right, he didn't know what to say, but he said something. That's Peter. Like, it's me sometimes. But Peter goes, this is really cool. We ought to just stay here. In fact, let's build some houses and we can just hang out here for a while. I'm going to build one for you and we're going to be one for Elijah and one for Moses. And I just, I have a feeling that inside Jesus is thinking, you, like you don't, you're not, you don't even understand what's going on here. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't say that. But here's what I think we're like Peter sometimes. I think when we have those moments with God, right, when God does something in our life or he shows up or he shows us a new perspective or we feel close to him, we love those mountaintop moments where God clearly shows up and we're refreshed and renewed. And let me just tell you this, mountaintops provide great views where you can see clearly, you can see the best. But listen, valleys provide great soil where you can grow the best. Listen, there's not great soil up on mountains, in fact, for years we thought mountains were the worst real estate in the world because you can't grow anything up there. Well, now everybody wants a house up on the mountains. Everybody wants to go up on the mountains. You can see clearly on a mountain, but you don't grow best on a mountain. You grow best in the valley. Now, look what's about to happen in verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do you see that? Like they don't nobody corrects Peter in the moment, just Peter's ready to stay here and live here and build a house. No, God speaks into the moment and says, This is my son. Sounds like a lot when, like when Jesus was baptized, right? He says, This is my beloved son. Remember, this is why I'm showing you. This is why I'm reminding you. He is my son, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Listen to him. He could have chosen any word, obey him, follow him, be like him. You know, he says, just listen to what he says. Just listen to him. Verse 8, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Why? Because Jesus was all they needed from that time forward, right? You couldn't fulfill the law. You didn't obey the prophets. Just listen to Jesus. In the midst of the terrifying, mysterious chaos of life, the voice of God says to them, just stop, just stop, and listen to my son. Just sit at his feet. Just look to him. Just follow him and you'll be okay. Notice that Moses and Elijah aren't there anymore. You can't keep the law, but Jesus did. You, you can't rescue and restore your relationship with God like the prophets were calling us to do, but Jesus did. And now, guess what? From this point forward, what God was saying to them and is saying to us is that you can trust him, you can follow him, you can look to him, you can listen to him because he is the only way you can be made right with God forever and he is all you need. Verse 9. 
And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept that matter to themselves, questioning what this rising of the dead might mean. Now, isn't it interesting? Why, why does Jesus say, don't tell anybody about this yet? Like, just, just keep this to yourself. Well, the same reason he only took three guys up on the mountains, right? Some of us aren't ready to hear or see the truth sometimes. And in that moment, I think because Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the rising from the dead, his resurrection would be the proof, the confirmation that what he said was true. But if they went and just told everybody about it now, without Jesus proving it by the resurrection, that they would have dismissed it and said, oh, you guys are crazy. Jesus says, just don't tell anybody yet. Just wait. God's going to show that what just happened is true. You see, anybody can claim to be the Messiah. Anybody can claim to forgive sins. And many people, even if you look back at history, many people have done magical or miraculous seeming things, but nobody can actually rise from the dead. So Jesus knew that his resurrection would prove his claims. Now, did you notice this in this verse? I love how it says that they were questioning. They were talking among themselves. Like they didn't... They kept this matter to themselves, but as they're going down the mountain, they're looking at each other going, you know, what do you, what do you think he means by rising from the dead? Like, what do you, what do you think? What is that all about? Like, why did, he, why did he say that? They still don't completely understand the mystery of what Jesus came to accomplish, and, and sometimes neither do we. Look at verse 11. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that, the first, that first Elijah must come? Now, this is getting into some deep Old Testament history here that you and I aren't Jewish. Probably you're not Jewish, and so you wouldn't know a lot of this background, but I'm going to qu- try to quickly give it to you. They, they, they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Now, his disciples are saying this. They're they're saying, okay, so we believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, we just heard the Father say, this is my Son. Listen to him. We just saw you glow in white. We saw Moses and Elijah with you. Okay, we believe there's something amazing about you, that you're the Messiah. It seems clear, but we've always been taught... Listen, they're saying, but we've always been taught that Elijah the prophet is going to come first. He's going to come back first to prepare the way for the Messiah. According to Malachi chapter 4, if you look back in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. So that we'll know that the Messiah shows up because Elijah is going to prepare the way. He's going to declare it. Notice what Jesus says. Look, if you can look back at in, in verse 12 there. Jesus says, Elijah does come first. Elijah does come first. And, and who, was Elijah, who was Jesus speaking about? Anybody know this real quick? Are you with me still? Kind of. All right, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. Look, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 17 real quick. You don't have to turn there. Just, just look at it on the screen. It says, He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He's talking about there John the Baptist. The cousin of Jesus who was telling people, there is a Messiah coming. Repent. Turn to God because there is a Messiah coming. But notice this. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus reminds them of this again. Look at verse 12 again. 
It says, And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Isn't it interesting how Jesus brings up the fact again, like, listen, they were expecting the Messiah to come and rule. They were expecting a king to walk in and, like, get everything right, like, throw the hammer down. And Jesus says, I'm about to suffer and die. And he mentions it again here. Like, he's saying, guys, go back and read your Old Testament because you missed who Elijah is. He's John the Baptist. And, 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 and guys, go back and read again because the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is supposed to suffer and die. You might want to go back and read the Old Testament again. Listen, in other words, and, and, and also, sorry, I missed this point. Jesus says Elijah did come first. John the Baptist did show up. But just about three chapters before this in verse 6, do you know what happened to John the Baptist? Anybody know? He prepared the way. He was like a new Elijah. But what happened to John the Baptist? His, King Herod cut his head off. He was beheaded. Now, the reason you need to know that is this, because I think in that moment Jesus is saying to them, guys, we're going down off the mountain. This has been great. It's great to hang out with you. But guess what's ahead of us in the valley? Well, John the Baptist had his head cut off, and I'm going to suffer and die. You guys ready for this? Are, are you with me? These guys were following Jesus because they thought he was going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus is going to restore the kingdom forever. But he's not going to do it the way they thought. And each one of those guys on that mountain were going to die for following Jesus. Jesus was getting them ready for the valley, wasn't he? The mountain's been great, but there's a valley ahead. You see, in the valley, you have to remember what you saw on the mountain. The mountains prepare you for the valleys, but you know what's just as true? The valleys prepare you for the mountains. You're going to have both in your life. So where are you right now? Let me, let me ask you a few questions right now. Right now, does it feel like in your life spiritually or just in life that you're headed up the mountain? Like it just feels like things are getting better and like I'm feeling closer to God and maybe God's showing you a new perspective of himself and of the world and of Jesus and the world around you. If it is, if that's where you are in life right now, celebrate it. Thank God for it and remember it because soon you will traverse another valley. See, some of you need to see Jesus in a new way that you've always seen him. Maybe you've heard about him. You knew he's probably a good person and you believe a lot of the things he said about loving your enemies and just, but maybe you've never seen that he is the king. He is the almighty God in the flesh. And maybe that's why God's taking you up on a mountain right now. So you see Jesus clearly and you trust him with your life. Because I'm telling you, you won't get to God any other way than through Jesus. Maybe you need to see Jesus bigger than you've ever seen him before. But maybe some of you right now, maybe you're heading into a valley. Or... Maybe you've been there for a while. And what I want to tell you is hold on. Hang on. You're there for a reason. People grow best in valleys. The soil is often most fertile there. Wait for the Lord. He is in the waiting. He is growing you. 
And he said in this story, just listen to Jesus. Learn from him. Lean on him. Trust him. Jesus said, I will never leave you. And even in the valleys, God is not absent. He's there. And guess what? When you're walking through a valley, there's a mountain ahead. There's hope. You and I, I'm thankful for the mountains when I see more clearly and I see God show up. But I'm thankful for the valleys that are not that easy to walk through too. Thankful for both. Let's just keep trusting Jesus. Will you bow your head and pray with me? God, as I read this story, what happened in the life of Jesus and Peter and James and John, I don't know that they knew exactly what was going on. I don't know if they completely got it at all. And God, we don't either. God, sometimes I, I just long to see a higher perspective. God, in those moments, I thank you for the mountaintops where I see you, I hear you. But God, there are seasons in my life that are valleys where I don't see clearly, where I don't hear you. I, I don't know what's going on, but God, I thank you for both of those. Thank you for stretching me and growing me through the hard times in the valley. But thank you for the moments when I see you clearly. And God, I pray that through them both, I will just look to, listen to, lean on, and learn from Jesus. Thank you that he is who he said he was. And that he is all that I need. God, I pray that you would help me stay close to him. At his feet, help me tune out the noise of this life and daily follow Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.